Good day, everybody. Welcome back to my podcast. I hope that you are well, and I hope that you are staying up to date on everything going on in these crazy times that we live in. Before we go into what's going on in Ukraine, I want to offer my uh, regret that it has been so long since we last had an episode. It is difficult to start a podcast and run it yourself and do the editing and all of that on your own when you're also in school and you have a job. I wish that I could get paid $100 million by Spotify to do this, and and unfortunately for now, that's not the case, and so this is a part-time thing, and I'm only able to do this when I have the time to be able to do this. I wish this could be my first priority because it is so important, and it is so important that we that we understand the, the, the true peril that we are in, but... I need, I need, you know, to pass my classes and I need to make money. And unfortunately, those things do have to come before this. I'm sorry for that. It's also um, unfortunate because as much as I'd love to have people on, uh, they're busy too and have conflicting schedules. And I believe that uh, for the future, what I'm going to do is I'll have to do more where it is just me because I think that is better than having nothing, even if it's just me. I'd love to have other people. I don't know everything. You know, I'm not I, I'm not Joy Reid on MSNBC. I'm not, uh, I was about to say Chris Cuomo, but he's long gone. I'm not Don Lemon or Anderson Cooper on CNN. I don't claim to be an expert on everything or half of the, the leftists on Twitter. I'm not an expert on everything, but I'll share you my opinion. And if it's not my opinion, I'll tell you when it is my opinion and when it's not my opinion. But uh, I'd love to have other people on who have their own opinions and have their own uh, knowledge that they can pull from, and we can all learn new things together. So I am sorry for that. Also, I had twice actually prepared to talk about what was going on in Ukraine. And each time, the you know, the developments were just so quick and so constantly updated that by the time I was ready to record, I would have been talking about outdated or irrelevant reports, and I didn't think that that would be accurate. In hindsight, I suppose, you know, if I had just said that, that, you know, as of this point, but I, I wanted to be, you know, when, it, when we're talking about a war, we're talking about a thug like Vladimir Putin invading another nation, I, I want to make sure that things are shown in the right way and that they aren't rushed and that they aren't inaccurate. And so I want to try my best for that. But um, I have some other topics teed up. Uh, the Supreme Court and the nomination of Katanji Brown-Jackson to replace Stephen Breyer. We're going to talk about that. Um, and what that means for you and how that's going to affect your life and how that will affect the court. Um, what the confirmation process is going to look like. And while we're doing that, I, I suppose we'll talk about what cases are to be you know, are, are on the, uh, the dock for the Supreme Court in this term. Uh, the two big ones, there is a uh, gun control about concealed carry permits in New York State. The Supreme Court is deciding that one, and they have a line of abortion cases, most notably uh, Dobbs v. Jackson, which has the potential to overturn Roe v. Wade. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about those cases, and there may be a few other smaller cases that I think are worth mentioning. We'll do that soon. Um, we're going to talk about the Second Amendment as a whole, and maybe we'll have you know talk about the Supreme Court's role in that over the past decades, and and uh, what that 
means, you know, for you and do you want to buy a gun? Is now the time to do it? What kind of gun? You know, what what gun control measures can we expect from President Biden? We're going to talk about very soon. We'll talk about um, not just the war in Ukraine itself, but the implications of that war on the global scale and and how it affects U.S. foreign policy, but also how it affects you as an American at home in your everyday life in small town Kansas or wherever Superman was from. I think it was small town. Uh, in, in regards to how much more expensive food is going to become, how much more expensive gasoline is going to become, even more than it is now. Believe me, I wish I could say that we were past the, uh, you know, we could flatten the curve on inflation, maybe 15 days of, uh, if the U.S. government didn't spend 15 days to flatten the inflation. That will never happen. And uh, and the biggest thing coming up is the midterms. Uh, and to talk about candidates and, and what what's going on and what's up and... Um, I you know I think maybe for that one I love I would love for have other people for that to talk about their own candidate and and the man of the elections and and why you need to vote and election integrity, but we're going to start with Ukraine, and we're going to start with the war itself, not so much, you know what um, how is my life going to change because of this because it it will change a lot and it has changed a lot. Um, you might have noticed it when you went to fill up your car, and. Three weeks ago, I paid $3.30 a gallon for gasoline. Now at the same gas station, it is $4.20. And that is everywhere around the country. Can you believe that in Los Angeles, they're paying $7 a gallon for gasoline? It's, it's, I mean, we all knew it was going to be bad, but when, you know, sometimes when you hear these, these Trump-leaning economists on the news talk about how Biden, you know, is going to drive this country to $7 a gallon gas in some places or $5 nationally. And you think that will never happen. Well, here we are. But but to the war itself, which is now uh, in Ukraine, it is March 8th currently here in the United States, which means it is March 9th in Europe. Uh, that means it is day 13 of the invasion. And the most surprising thing is well, it is surprising that they launched a full invasion and a, and a full invasion of the entire country. You know, the, the biggest expectation was that this was going to be small incursions in the eastern part of the country where the majority of the people are speaking Russian and have a more uh, sentimental view of Russia. They do not see them so much as a threat. They, some even see them as a liberator. That's not what happened. This was a full deployment of 200,000 troops into the entire country that is, um, according to uh, Reuters, killed at least 13,000 people uh, and displaced at least 2 million, uh, thousands of buildings destroyed. And believe me, you'd think two weeks of an invasion and we only have 13,000 dead. That is way low. It is insanely low. It, is, it could be... We don't know. It might be, honestly, it might even be 10 times that. It might even be in the hundreds of thousands. We don't know because of how recent it is. You know, when when you're when you're fighting, you're not looking around to count how many dead bodies you are. You're you're trying to shoot back so as to not be killed. So as, as time goes on, we will start to get more accurate casualty numbers, and those numbers will go up. But um, for a quick geography lesson on Ukraine, you have the Dnipro River. No, sorry, that the, the Dnipro River. 
I don't speak Ukrainian, so for those of you that do, I know there are maybe one or two people that speak Russian or Ukrainian that will listen to this. Uh, forgive my pronunciation of some of these things, but the Dnieper River, which cuts the country in half, goes all the way from the border with Belarus uh, through Kiev. It goes all the way down and empties into the Black Sea. And most of the Russian uh, forces have been east of the Dnieper River. Um, a major assault out of the Crimea Peninsula into the south of Ukraine. And there they've seen very, you know, very rapid success at first. It has kind of slowed down. That's where the uh, first major city, Kherson, has fallen to the Russians. And they're making advances, you know, deeper into the western part of the country. They've crossed the Dnieper River. They are making progress in the eastern part, the Donbass region, where Russian separatists have controlled that area since 2014. They have made incredible gains um, to pushing them back in the north and the southern part of that region. Not as much. Um, the second largest city in Ukraine, Kharkiv, Kharkov, um, the city has held on this entire time, and that was not expected. The Russians have met way stiffer resistance than expected. And uh, in the north, they've you know made their huge assault on Kiev. They've captured the Chernobyl nuclear plant. Um, most expected Kiev to fall within three days. Here we are now, two weeks later, and the Ukrainians are still holding their own. But this you know Russian convoy is it, it's heating up still. It's still heating up. There are two major encirclements, um, and so the, you know the front line is going to move back in the northern part of the country, and Kiev is going to be a battle that will will be fought for quite a bit longer. Um, and that's where most of the that's where most of the fighting has taken place. That is the the epicenter of this is Kiev and the Battle of Kiev. For well, there are two. There's a few reasons for that. One reason is it's the capital city. Um, you know the 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 old saying, "Cut off the head and the body will die." If you capture Kiev, the rest of the country, uh, you know, they will lose a moral support. You know, for, to fight for the war. Morale will go down. Um, president Zelensky, Vladimir Zelensky, the president of the Ukraine, which uh, has really proven himself to be a 21st century Winston Churchill. He is very admirable. And he has done what nobody has been able to do in decades, and that is to unite the West. And we can all unite behind him and say this, is, this here is an admirable man. He was very new to politics. He was a comedian star and then decided to run for president and won. Um, and when, you know, the invasion started, he said, I'm here in Kiev. I'm not afraid. Come and get me, Putin. Uh, you know, I, I'm not scared of you, you tyrant. And he stayed in the city and he's there with his men and he's not fleeing. We offered to get him out. This is, this is a quote. Um, Joe Biden had offered, you know, we can get, you know, you evacuation. And this is a quote. He said, I don't need a helicopter. I need ammo. If we had a leader like President Zelensky here in the United States, you wouldn't have out of control, rampant, you know, once in a, in a generation inflation. You wouldn't have two million border crossings last year alone. He is, uh, and he's become a symbol of the resistance and this anti-Russian resistance. And we are we are very the Ukrainian people are very lucky to have him. He's a huge thorn in Putin's side, mostly by morale. You know, when you see that your leader is standing up to this guy that you've got no chance against, 
We can do this. He's rallying his men, and they are fighting back way harder than anyone expected. It is very remarkable. Um, but they are outgunned, and they are outnumbered. And, you know, it's, it's uh, their reports of that the, the morale of the Russian troops is down and, and that there has been qu- quite a bit of corruption over the years in the Russian military, which has led to inefficiency. Uh, the, the Ukrainians are holding their own, but they can't do this forever. They do need help. And there comes a point when we have to say help needs to be given. You know, we've sent, uh, we've sent uh, missiles and, and rocket launchers, and we have not sent troops, and we shouldn't. We haven't. President Biden has said he's not going to, and that wouldn't be very good. If we send troops, we go into a full-blown war with Russia, who in the last week has threatened nuclear war. He did. When he, when he, he gave his speech justifying his invasion, announcing the invasion. And he said, if any nation were to interfere, expect consequences the likes of which the world has never seen. Implying nuclear weapons, do we know for sure? No, we don't. Um, but help help needs to be given. And the biggest reason for that is is the civilian toll that this is, is going to take. Um, while we don't have to get involved in that way, we do owe it to being standard bearers of humanity and morality to protect innocent life. War, despite technology, despite there being drones and missiles and satellites and, and you know, drones, and helicopters, all these incredible, you know, you think to World War II, the last time that a war was fought in Ukraine, you'd literally have soldiers on horseback charging at the retreating German infantry, cutting them down. You'd have tank battles. You have hundreds, literally hundreds of tanks on a single field firing at each other, um, within you know just a thousand meters or so. Now you have uh, tanks that can fire fifteen mile missiles. You know, the, the war has changed. What warfare is? Warfare has changed, but war hasn't. War never changes. That's a sad reality. He himself. Uh, President Putin said, I, I'm not trying to kill a bunch of civilians here. And do I believe him when he said that? I do. And I believe him because he said that, you know, he sees this as, and this is a quote here, he's liberating the Ukrainian people from a neo-Nazi government. He sees the Ukrainian people as his people that are being held by a hostile regime. And he needs to take out the government. He's not trying to kill all the Ukrainians. He sees them as Russians that are unrightfully not part of Russia. So it's not in his interest to kill them. But it still happens because that's war. And when war crimes are being committed and when possible crimes against humanities are being committed, you know, with certain weapons being outlawed by the Geneva Convention allegedly being used. And I say allegedly because I do not know. You know, we have we have reports from that from the Ukrainians and some of our own intelligence, but I do not know what has been confirmed, and it changes so quickly, so allegedly at this point. But when you have alleged crimes against humanity being considered, there do you do have to ask, there needs to be a level of involvement. Um, and again, that does not mean troops. That does not mean boots on the ground. There are many other things. And if it does come to that, there are European allies. The, the European Union is expediting Ukraine's admission into the European Union. Doing so would make it easier for Europe to defend Ukraine, which it should. We can support our European allies 
in defending Ukraine. We can give them financial support and, and you know, equipment loans, but not troops. Uh, and that has been a positive of this, is that NATO, the NATO alliance is as strong as it's been in decades. Um, I would, you know, some would say that Putin has been able to do that. I disagree. I, I would give the um, the thanks and, and the credit to President Zelensky uh, for his courage in the face of a tyrant, of a 21st century Hitler or 21st century Mussolini. But um, so he's not he's not trying to kill civilians, yet they still get killed. And uh, he wants to, you know, get rid of the government. So that means he has to take the capital city, he has to take Kiev, and he has to get rid of Zelensky. Zelensky has now become a symbol of this resistance to him. Take him out, and the Ukrainian position is diminished tremendously. He also, you know, he's portrayed, and he portrays himself as being a very, very devout Orthodox Christian. Um, and we don't know exact, entirely how true that is, but... Kiev is a very holy city in Eastern Orthodoxy. Uh, I, I saw an opinion piece. I don't remember who it was from, but they talked about, uh, and, and I've heard this here, you know, going in a, in a school that's, uh, you know, run by a, a church, a church-sponsored school, um, that the three most significant cities in Christianity are Jerusalem, Rome, and uh, Kiev, with the fourth being... Constantinople, which you know now it's Istanbul, uh, and so that it's it's you know shifted slightly, and, and and you could say that it's Kiev is the is the heart of the, of the Orthodoxy, uh, with Rome being the heart of Catholicism and Jerusalem, of course, being where it all went down, and, and so for him, you know, there's a significance to Kiev, um, but it is becoming more and more likely that your the European countries themselves, at least, and possibly us. I don't want us to get involved, but it's becoming harder and harder to see a reality where it doesn't happen. You know, we have sanctioned uh, Putin himself. We've sanctioned Russia, Russian banks. The ruble has lost 30 points in a week. Um, I don't know how much of that we should brag about. President Biden bragged about that in a state of the union. I don't know how good of an idea that is. You know, the ruble crashes. Who benefits from that? Or I should say, who suffers from that? Uh, actually, I'll ask both. Who benefits from that? The answer is no one. We don't benefit from a destroyed ruble. We don't. Who suffers from that? Putin? Eh, yeah, yeah, a little. You know who really suffers is the poor Russian people. A war that they didn't want. They did not want this. And, and we can clearly tell they didn't want this because they've been protesting like they've never protested under President Putin. You know, they, he's had to censor media. He's had to supp suppress it. You've had state-sponsored media anchors after they do their, you know, the broadcast that they're just told to say. They walk out because they know it's not true. They don't agree with it. They find it to be disgusting. Nobody wanted this war except Vladimir Putin, and nobody's happy about this war except Vladimir Putin. And and I want to stress that point because you know, as you talk about this with people, and and I don't know if maybe you can pick up on this, but this is not something that, oh, you're a conservative and so you should agree with me on this. If you're an American, you should agree with me on this. You can disagree on, you know, should we put troops on the ground and you don't have to be a Democrat or Republican. You can have your own independent opinion on that. But something that we can all agree on and we've seen a unified 
Congress on this, and a unified. We've even seen a unified um, commission. The House Foreign Relations Committee, uh, chaired by Gregory Meeks, he's a Democrat. He represents South Queens. Um, has led a delegation to Poland, and they've made it to the Ukraine border, and they've met with some troops, and they met with the refugees to see what's going on. The uh, I believe the ranking member is Brian Fitzpatrick, who's a congressman from uh, North Philadelphia suburbs. He's a Republican. And he used to be an FBI agent in Ukraine. And they've you know, been very involved in this, knowing what needs to be done. And things, you know, th there is going to be a bigger involvement. I, I don't want to say that a war with Russia is inevitable because the situation changes so, so quickly. But it is becoming a, a more uh, mainstream opinion that this is, this is going to escalate even further. And that, that should worry you. Um, the biggest thing is oil. And we'll talk about oil again as we talk about what it means for you. But the biggest thing is gas prices have gone up. Um, who do we get our oil from? We, we, do, you know, we do domestically produce oil. Not as much as we did under President Trump, but we still do. We buy oil from Saudi Arabia. We buy oil from Russia. And uh, there have been, you know, a lot of people said, how... How are you doing all these sanctions, but you're not sanctioning, you know, you're not banning Russian oil? Today, actually, they announced that they're doing that, and I applaud that. I, I, I believe in everybody's, you know, got their sphere of, of influence. You know, I think the Russians have a have a inherent right to be the dominant power in Eastern Europe as being the largest nation with the largest military and the largest economy. That doesn't give them the right to invade other nations, just like we're the dominant power in North America. But if we invaded the Bahamas, that's not okay for any reason. Um, and, and so it's, it's the same idea, but um, so I'm happy that, we've been, that we, we're not buying oil from Russia anymore. The problem is in order to counter that, you need to increase production uh, either by buying from foreign powers or increasing domestic production. Increasing domestic production would be the better option. However, Biden, as of now, and has, has said that that's not going to happen. Um, and Europe has been dependent on Russian oil. The, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which would bring natural gas into Germany, over 60% of natural gas uh, in Germany is imported from Russia. And they're saying, you know, that can't happen anymore. Um, we can't allow, allow this to continue anymore. And that is a wonderful thing. Germany is, is um, committed itself to becoming energy independent of Russia, not fully energy independent. You know, among European Union nations, they'll trade and all that, but, but to not have to rely on Russian natural gas anymore or Russian oil anymore. And it's a wonderful thing. Um, Emmanuel Macron, he is the president of France. He has come out and said, you know, we have to make sure that we're paying our, our dues, you know, into NATO and making sure that we have that 2% of our GDP funded into NATO, something that not even Donald Trump was able to do. And again, you'll see, you know, that they, they'll say that this is Putin and that's, no, I, it's really because of President Zelensky and the example that he's shown of what a leader should be. Um, but the war is, is, I don't need to say that war is bad. We all know that war is bad, but it's heating up. It's getting worse. And I, I pretty much everybody believes that the worst is yet to come. There have been some peace talks, but they have not really reached a, a uh, 
meaningful uh, consensus. You know, they've allowed to get some civilians out of certain cities, but uh, it has not, it hasn't been productive enough. The innocents are still suffering, and this is not going to end quickly. It's it's a tragedy. It's absolutely a tragedy, and I I want to say that President Biden is responsible for quite a bit of it. I wish that wasn't the case. You know, like I've said before, and and, and when he was elected president, I, I posted about it, and you know I said, well, I didn't vote for him, but he has my support. I want him to do well because if he does well, America does well, and I love this country. I live in this country. If he does well, that means I do well. If you know, if he has a great economy, it means I'm making money, paying, uh, you know, low cost for gasoline and food and other things. And if he does poorly, then my life is not as good. And I really mean that. I wanted him to do well, but a lot of this is because of him. Not to say that this wouldn't have happened under Donald Trump, although it is worth noting that Donald Trump is the only president, and he said this. Uh, he recently addressed CPAC, and he said, "I'm the only president." under whose watch Russia did not invade a foreign country. And it's true. Um, I do believe that uh, President Putin, I wouldn't go so far as to say, to say he was afraid of Donald Trump, but he was, he was nervous about him because he was unpredictable. Uh, um, but the other one is, is Angela Merkel, the former chancellor of Germany. She had been around almost as long as he was, and, and she left... I don't think that there's a coincidence two months after she leaves, he invades. So that's really the leader that can uh, take the credit of I, the one who prevented it all those years. But um, his his slow to action, you know, it, it, it cost. The reports were so sketchy that it was, it was doubtful. And myself, I even doubted the severity of what was going on. Oh, Russia's not really going to invade. Um, they didn't have you know many indications. Even President Zelensky himself was like, oh, "We're not worried." I don't know if they had more intel, but that they didn't release. I mean, they, of course they had more intel they didn't release, but really all of Europe was not very worried. Ukraine itself wasn't very worried. We were the only nation that was panicking over this. So I like to think it's more so we just had incompetent leaders that happened to push this to that. You know, they treated it as such, and Putin reacted. But it does worry me, the people that we have running the show, Lloyd Austin, our Secretary of Defense, General Milley, our Joint Chief of Staff. Remember, these are the same people that handled Afghanistan back in August and what happened with that. You have some of these career po politicians and career workers. I mean, it's their career. They've worked in the Defense Department since 2001. The same people that drafted the plans for the Iraq War, the same people that lobbied for it and were over the, you know, the, the architects of it. They're still around. And they're calling the shots here, and that's scary. Because of all of the bad things that I can say about Joe Biden, we can go after him for being, you know, we can say that he's cognitively challenged. We can say that he's, you know, part of the, the Biden crime family, Hunter and Ukraine and, and, and China and, and, and the $3 million from the Moscow mayor. We can talk about all of that as well, but we can also talk about him as a politician. And the one thing that I will say, probably the biggest criticism that I have of Joe Biden is he, in any foreign policy, he has never, ever gotten it right. It's been blunder after blunder after blunder, and he even brags about it. 
um, after they killed Bin Laden, he spent months talking about, oh, you know, when when they uh, when we we got the intel, they went to the president and he thought about it and he went, you know, we, he called the National Security Council, which was the vice president, the secretary of state, the secretary of defense, national security advisor, um, homeland security, uh, joint chief of staff. Um, and, you know, he asked people and he said uh, he asked all these people, you know, he asked Hillary, he asked, you know, and they all were like, oh, do it, do it. And he said, the last person he asked was me as his vice president. You know, I'm the number two man. Joe, what do you think? And I said, Barack, don't do it. And he didn't listen to me, and we got him. Uh, I don't know why he bragged about being wrong, but he did. And you can look it up. He, he talks about it all the time. And that's the man, the man who, you know, would have not gone into kill bin Laden, the man who really has been wrong. And, and again, I'm not going to go into it because I want the spirit of this to be wholesome and and as unifying as it can but when criticism is deserved it, it needs to be given in a not in, in a in a mean way so i won't go into all of his foreign policy failures but it is concerning and we will talk about it next time and now it, you know you have to worry and we have to worry about china uh, with taiwan let me say in closing that yes this is a terrible thing and it, and it breaks my heart and it should break your heart to see what's going on. And, and, and if these alleged war crimes and crimes against humanity are true, then my heart truly does break for the people of Ukraine because they're the ones who are going to suffer more than anybody. I admire when, um, one of the people I think I look up to and admire and see as a, a role model and inspiration uh, and an inspirer is Winston Churchill. He, you know... The Germans are, uh, France has fallen. He's, it's only him against an entire continent of Nazi Europe. And he says, we will never surrender. We will fight on the beaches. We will fight on the streets. We will fight in the hills. We will never surrender. And Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, has done exactly that. He has stood in the face of an a enemy that is much more powerful than him and said, I will not give in. I will not surrender. And God bless him. And we, we pray for him and we hope that he stays strong and we admire his courage. And, and he is somebody that every American should look up to. And he's somebody that will go down as a true leader. Please keep Ukraine. If you pray, keep it in your prayers. And if you don't pray, be mindful of it and Hope, hope for a brighter tomorrow for them, those wonderful people and their wonderful leader. May we be so lucky to have our own Vladimir Zelensky one day. May all the nations of NATO be so lucky to have a Vladimir Zelensky one day. We'll be back soon. We're going to talk about what this war means for you, your, your wallet, your, your everyday life. Be well.